<clears throat> in God's Word, Romans chapter 14, we're making uh, progress, hopefully, and uh, it's hard to believe that we have come this, thus far. And uh, last week we looked at Romans 1 through 9, and yet I really just gave the introduction and ran out of time. And so this is the second sermon on this, this same topic. And if you missed that, go back and, and uh, I think, we did we not record that? Do we have that? Okay, and so you can sort of add that to what I'm going to say. There will be some review, though. Uh, we need to uh, understand uh, what to do when Christians differ over non-essential things, how to act, uh, what is our heart attitude, that sort of thing. And uh, one thing we know for sure, Paul does not say here, go out and start another church. <laughs> there are enough churches <laughs> in Mobile <laughs> without starting another church. But, uh, but Paul wants us to be unified as a body. That's what, that's what uh, and a proper love for him and for each other so key in the Christian life. And we saw last week, we all have a problem with our sinful nature. Um, and the problem is pride. Remember how you spell pride? P-R-I-D-E. I is right in the middle of pride. And uh, but we get to thinking and, and uh, everybody should look like me, be like me, act like me. Uh, matter of fact, if God would just clone me, the world's problems would be settled. No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> you don't want a bunch of Sid Phillipses running around. Uh, <laughs> you know. We're to be like Christ. Amen. Be like Him. And uh, uh, so cloning me, the problem is not solved. Amen? Amen. Well, it wasn't too loud. That's good. <laughs> And I won't ask uh, for you to repeat that. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, we may be right on, on a non-essential point, but remember the Pharisees. They thought they were fair, I see, F-A-I-R, fair, I see. And, of course, Jesus said, no, you're whitewashed tombs, you're full of dead men's bones, and uh, you're hypocrites. And so may God help us not to be hypocrites in our Christian walk. And, uh, <clears throat> and so what happens is we make non-essentials essential. We make them essential because we think they are essential. And that's the struggle is knowing. Because uh, I know that list that I gave you two weeks ago, some of you said, but that's essential. I know you did in your heart because... There was a whole long list of what I would call non-essential. But to some people, those are essential. And I understand that. Okay? So, uh, but there are things that people differ on. Uh, but the Bible does give a clear teaching on the fundamentals of the faith. We talked about that. The deity of Christ, the virgin birth, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through the shed blood of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Yeah, those things are settled. We're not saved by works, by, by keeping the law. Yeah, those are fundamentals. Uh, the deity, uh, the uh, uh, virgin birth, the second coming of Christ and what have you. Those are essential things. But they're uh, human traditions. Oh, 
human traditions. What about human traditions? We talked about that. Human traditions come, though, from human application of godly principles. In other words, Wednesday night. Is there anything holy about Wednesday night? Absolutely not. But, hey, we've been meeting on Wednesday night, this church has, for 120 years. And so all of a sudden, it's not the godly principle behind Wednesday night. It's Wednesday night. And so what is the godly principle behind Wednesday night? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Pray without ceasing. But all of a sudden, you get your focus off of what it's about onto the day itself. And it becomes holy. And uh, Pharisees were real good about that. And I'm afraid we are too. Uh, So we need to have convictions though, to form convictions. And this is what Paul is saying. Uh, How should we uh, treat each other when we have differences on non-essential things? Because non-essential things split the church. In, in, in Romans 14, 1 and 2, uh, what does Paul say? Those that, you, that differ with you on non-essentials, what does he say in verse 1? Very clear, he says, uh, uh, accept, now accept the one, now accept the one, he says, accepting, accepting, even though he may differ from you on non-essential things. Don't let those non-essentials separate you. Extremely important. As I said very boldly and very loudly two weeks ago, stop it. But I think I was a little more energetic than that. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, stop it. You know, you're acting like a bunch of children, a bunch of babies, a bunch of uh, 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 immature Christians. And that's that's what it amounts to. And we're all guilty of it. And he says it in a negative way in verse 3. To the strong in faith, he says, don't despise the weak. Don't look down on them. Don't say, poor you. You don't get it, do you? You're just a second-class Christian. Be like me. I've got it all together. Maybe you've never thought that thought. And to the weak, Paul says, don't judge. But the weak say, look what they eat and drink. Look at their careless behavior. They can't be saved doing that. And boy, have I been there. I went off to Bible college and after one semester, I came home and everybody was lost but me. Because they didn't have their hair cut to where you could see their ears. Matter of fact, if it was touching your ears... You're probably not a Christian. If you drank any alcohol at all, you were lost. And smoking was just absolutely, that's the end. I mean, and so uh, I, was, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees, you may say. I was so self-righteous that I was judging everybody, condemning everybody because they were not living up to my standard. And this is what exactly what Paul is talking about here. And, and I was guilty of it. And self-righteous, self-righteous. And so God has had to take me down a few notches, uh, and he still is, as I learn more and more about his grace and, and love. And so what are we building the acceptance of each other on? What truths, 
what are the foundations for building relationships? You know, Paul says what they are right here. In other words, why accept the, uh, the weaker brother? He says it in, in uh, verse 3b. Do you see it at the very end of the, the verse there? For God has accepted him. I should accept him for God has accepted him. Whoa, that's pretty. You think, you know, I think God, that's kind of as high as you can go as far as acceptance. You know, you, don't, you can't go any higher than that. If God accepts him, why do I not accept him? And that's what Paul is saying. Very, very, very clear. And uh, I have lost the clicker. Ah, right, here it's on the floor. I hung it up on the floor. Oh, well. So, let's just take an example. We have our differences. We have our differences. But Paul says in Romans 15, 7, Therefore accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Just as he accepted us with all of our differences. This is what Paul is talking about. He didn't accept you because you had it all together. I'm still working at that. And I can tell you right now, I don't have it all together. Is that right, sweetheart? <laughs> but anyway, you know, we, we, you come into a church and you're at, what is your attitude? Looking around to see, is anybody going to raise their hand or clap their hand or and you just had this attitude of, of judging other people, to condemn them, to criticize them. Well, wait a minute. What does the scripture say? Psalm 63, 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Why aren't you doing that? You say, well, I don't feel comfortable. Well, this other person over here may feel very comfortable in doing that. So Paul is saying God honors both those that are hand raisers and those who are not hand raisers. But we're not to criticize and look down on somebody because they either raise their hand, you know, oh, I'm more spiritual than you because I raised my hand. You can raise your hand and be dead in your sins because you're doing it like the Pharisees did to be seen of men. But let me tell you, you need to be lifting your hands, maybe not in this body, but you better be raising your hand somewhere for God. Imagine going to a football game, the Alabama-Auburn football game, and they come out with the announcement, the game's just getting ready to kick off, and they say, all right, there will be no excitement, no one is to raise your hands, no one is to shout, you're all to be silent, or you will be kicked out of here. Right? <laughs> but you know, uh, what is our attitude in the church? Psalm 119, 48. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. In other words, Lord, I praise you for your commandments. I give thanks to you, Lord, for who you are. What's wrong with that? 
Absolutely nothing. Now, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, don't do it. Don't do it. And some are. And some are comfortable. Some aren't comfortable. But don't look at somebody and say, because they're doing it, I need to be doing it. No. Some people stand during the whole singing time. Some people sit. Whether it's at the first song, second well, you're not as spiritual because you sat down at the second song. I'll wait till the third song to sit down and you, you know, we laugh. <laughs> but I found myself doing that. Maybe you don't suffer with that, but I do. Uh, and then uh, another one, Psalm 47.1. Oh, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with a voice of joy. Uh, at football games, it's okay, but for Christians to clap their hands. Again, you may be a hand clapper, and you may not be. It's a heart God's looking at, but you better be clapping your hands in your heart if you don't do it outwardly. Because I think you can. I think you can clap your hands. Uh, uh, Tony Menendez, I don't know if you've ever heard him sing, he plays the guitar with his feet. He has no arms. So he can't clap his hands, but I guarantee you one thing, he's clapping his hands in his heart. You see the point? God looks at the heart. And on and on we can, we can take this. But, uh, but Paul says, no. No, he says, accept them with all of their differences. Because each one of us, he says in 4a, each one of us has a master. Each one of us has a master that we serve. And who is that? It is Christ our Lord. He's the one who is the judge, not us. You're not going to be their judge when we stand before God. Uh, God is going to be their judge, not you. And verse 10 of, of Romans 14, he says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You too. He's not going to say, Sid, you did it all right, therefore you judge these. No, I'm going to be standing there along with you. Revelation chapter 20. 12 through 15, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And I'm thankful I'm being judged out of that, out of the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, the, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written, again, in the book of life, it better be written there, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So there's going to be two sets of books. One is going to be a book of condemnation, and the other one will be a book for the righteous, for those who have trusted Christ, for those who love him, for those who serve him and what have you. Uh, and so, don't be uh, condemning. Uh, imagine, we have one servant, Christ. Imagine going to your next door neighbor and your next door neighbor has hired a servant. Okay? And this servant is trimming the hedges and he's cutting the grass. And so, you go over there and you say to this man, uh, I'm sorry, you're cutting... You know, you're cutting that hedge too close. You know, you need to, 
you need to shape up here and get your heads like mine next door. And I'm sorry, the grass, you're just cutting it way too close to the ground. You need to raise it so it'll look better. What is that servant going to do? He's going to look you in the face and say, you're not my master. The man that owns this house is my master. And I'm going to report to him. And this is how he wants me to do it. He has told me to do it this way. And so with these non-essential things that's in life, if you have a conscience that can do it, it's okay, Paul is saying. And if you don't, don't do it. Because both of them are going to be honoring to God. Whether you're a hand raiser or a non-hand raiser, he says. Whether you wear a coat and tie or if you wear blue jeans. I'm sorry, this is just... Uh, I, think it's, I think it's clear. I think this is what... So what is Paul saying? Back off. Back off. Back off. It's that important though because the church has suffered because of this. I know, I've been there. I've been part of it, sad to say. And also it says in in, in verse 4 and B, it says, the Lord is able to make him stand. The weaker brother has been accepted and... Uh, upheld in the judgment. Why? Because he is righteous in Christ, just like the stronger brother. They're both saved by, by faith and, uh, uh, through, the, uh, uh, through Christ. Both are trusting in the righteousness of Christ to save them. Whether you're weak or you're strong, Paul says. And, and I hope in this church, Grace Bible Church, uh, that we'll make the fight over big things important things, the fundamentals of the faith, that we will not major on the minors, that we will major on the majors, and that we'll stand up for God's word where it speaks. And uh, we will welcome all if they don't dress like me, if they don't eat like me, if they don't drink like me. And two weeks ago I said, if they eat brown bread, and not white bread. And churches have been split over the type of bread people eat. It happened. I talked to a pastor and he said, we had 200 people and all of a sudden we had about 75 left because half of them were brown bread eaters and thought everybody that was eating white bread was sinning, living in sin. And I said, you've got to be kidding. He said, I wish I was. Now isn't that sad? How Satan, Satan can just cause division over something like that. And of course the color of the carpet, it can be anything. The world is going to hell in a handbasket and we're fighting over 90 essentials. God have mercy on us. And we feel so self-righteous for doing it. Oh, we feel so good about ourselves. and oh, I mean, it's sad. You know, the second coming is the f- a fundamental of the... Jesus is uh, literally coming again as he went up into heaven. And there is no doubt about that. And uh, Titus 2.13, my life's verse, looking for the blessed hope 
and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming again. No doubt about it. That's the fundamental of the faith. The second, second coming of Christ. Everyone agrees on that. But is it pre-mill, post-mill, I-mill? Is it pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture? Uh, or is the rapture and the second coming one and the same thing? I've known people not to listen to someone because they don't agree with pre-trib. They might be post-trib. That's sad. They will not fellowship with somebody over different views on different things. Sad. It's sad. And, and, and if you're guilty of that, you need to be convicted about that. Now, if you think that's an essential, okay, I'm, uh, again, there are different views on that, but I, we, need to, we need to really see what's going on. It's that important. It's that important. And then in verse 5, Paul says, people disagree about certain days. Notice in verse 5. What do you think about Halloween? Oh, that's a big one. What about Mardi Gras? What about Christmas Day? What about all these days and birthdays and holidays and President's Day? You know, you just, you just get lost in it. What did Paul say in Colossians 2, 16 and 7? Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. So what was Paul saying here? What was he saying? I think he's saying, what did he mean? Uh, Christ is our rest. Christ is our Sabbath rest. We're in Christ. We rest in Christ, not in a day. I think it's what Paul is saying. What did Jesus say in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you a greater burden. No, I will give you rest. See, Christ is our rest, not a day whether it's Sunday or a Wednesday night or Sunday night. No, Christ is our rest. Think about that in your own heart. And all, and is He your rest? Or are you resting in something else? No, He is. He will give you rest because He purchased our rest. That he died for us. His blood was shed for us. He purchased our rest. And we rest our souls in Christ. Not the day. What about the first day of the week? Sunday. Why do we meet on this day? Can't we meet on other days? Sure, we can meet every day of the week if you want to. I probably won't be here, but you can meet. No, we, we, just, we, we chose this, choose this day because... Uh, uh, it says in the scripture, after Christ was risen, 
they met on the first day of the week. Not that that's the only day you can meet on, but again, it pictures that Christ is our rest because He is raised from the dead. It's a day of worshiping Christ. It is a special day to honor and glorify Him. Not to make it a legalistic thing of you can't throw the football uh, with your, your son Sunday afternoon. Mow the grass. Whatever. You see. Something to, you know, where's our heart attitude and all? Where's our heart? God looks at our heart and, and the attitude of our heart. That's the important thing. To glorify Him. So what does Psalm, Psalmist say? 118.24 This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What day is that? I think it's every day. It's every day. We're to rejoice and give thanks. If you say, well, you know, I, it's not Sunday yet. I can't rejoice in the Lord. Got to wait till Sunday. No. We rejoice every day in the Lord. Because He is our joy. He is our, He's our all in all. He's our strength. So, we have to be careful, don't we? Not to get things out of place. So both of these, in verse 6 of Romans 14, uh, both sides of the issue are glorifying God in what they do. Whether they're hand raisers or not hand raisers. Where they eat only vegetables or eat only meat or what have you. Both are doing it to honor God by doing it the way they're doing it. Because they feel a conviction in their heart that they're honoring God by that. And I'm, so I'm not saying... Uh, you need to start raising your hands on Sunday morning. No, don't do that if it's not coming from your heart. But, I, but I'm saying if you feel, go, oh, thank you, Lord. Don't, don't feel like you can't do that. And if you're already doing that, don't feel like you can't do it. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Now, I, I don't want this church to turn into a pew-jumping bunch of people. Uh, but I don't think we have to worry about that, okay? We're a long ways from <laughs> But you know what? If somebody started weeping and, and, and fell down on the floor and came crawling up here begging uh, forgiveness over something in their life that they have done, I would get down there on the floor with them. And we shouldn't think anything about that. Amen. See what I'm saying? But oh man, we... Uh, I think you, I think you, uh, so in verses 7 and 8, Paul brings up life and death as ultimate, ops, ops, things that are opposite. He says, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. So here are two opposites, just like eating, and, uh, eating meat and not eating meat were opposites. He said, we, we do what we do to what? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to glorify God. So if you can do it and glorify God, do it. Now, I'm not saying adultery in moderation. I'm not talking about sins that the Bible 
mentions that sins. Okay, I'm talking about these things that people differ on. And I, and I want to say that again and again so it won't be misunderstood. And uh, in verses 8 and 9, Paul is saying, we need to stand in awe of the risen Savior. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. He's our Lord. We're living for him and for his glory that he might get the glory no matter what we do. Eaters or abstainers or day keepers, non-day keepers, both are honoring God. I think that's very clear. And I want, uh, I want you to see that. So what is the conclusion after saying all this, both two weeks ago and today? What is the conclusion? What can we, how can I as a, as a believer, where do I go with all of this? Well, I think John said it very well in John 13, 34. And, and Paul is dealing with the whole topic of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and your neighbor as yourself. You fulfill the law. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And part of that love is accepting one another. If the, whether they dress like you. But, you know, if you're coming into church and you're judging everybody, are you worshiping? No. Absolutely not. I'm sorry you're not. If all you do is have a critical eye examining everybody to see if they're living up to your standard... That is not worshiping God. you got a heart problem. You're a Pharisee and you need to repent and ask God to forgive you. I've done it. I've been guilty of that. I've been to, to churches where, where everyone was raising hands. And, and, but I wasn't. And I was, oh, these, these people are really getting crazy here. They're, they're getting excited and, you know, we need to be reverent. Well, we do need to be reverent. But where does it say you're not to be excited about God? You see, and so I was critical. I was judgmental. I was doing the very thing that Paul here is condemning. And I had to repent. And I'm still repenting over things in my life like that. Fighting over these non-essentials. He requires of us, God does, to be unified. One purpose. To be of one mind. We read that, did we not, from Ephesians 4 this morning? That's exactly what he read. Go back and read it again. And that was a great uh, passage to pick out to read. One purpose, one mind. Sharing our hearts, being open with each other, being vulnerable to work with each other, expressing that love. Not just having lip service. Because, boy, lip service is so easy to do. Not, you know, it's easy to criticize. Isn't it easy to criticize? What do you do when you criticize? You're not looking at yourself. And you feel self-righteous because you're criticizing other people and feeling so good about yourself. And yet you need to be criticizing yourself. Give me, Lord, such love for you that I won't be critical of others. That's loving others. I was tough when I first became a Christian. When I, when I went up to Bible college 
and I had just a little bit of a little bit of knowledge. I had it all together, and I was tough on other Christians. I mean, I was. I was like, "You drink a beer, you are lost." I would tell people that. I've had to go back to those same people and tell them, "Forgive me, I was wrong. I was wrong. You smoke." You are lost if you smoke. You're not. God allows different conscience to different people on non-essentials. And God accepts them on that basis. And we need to accept them on that same basis. You know what the dangerous thing about knowledge is? About gaining, and I I'd gained all this knowledge. I knew it all. Nobody could tell me anything. What is the danger? If I can get this to work. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. <coughs> knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. That's what we need to be doing, is edifying one another, because knowledge puffs up. We should not be Christians who want to make everybody like me. To make everybody the same, to look the same, act the same, dress the same. We're, we're a bunch of just robots, you might say, walking around. Our focus must be on Christ. He must be the one who is guiding and directing our lives. You're to, free to eat everything you want or to abstain because of conscious sake. That's what he's saying. If you can't eat oysters, leave them for me. I'm serious. If you I, I, and I've seen people that oh I don't I can't eat shellfish. Thank you. <laughs> and there'll be a big flatter oh more for me. Aren't we silly? Aren't we really silly? Wow. There's a story told, and I'll end with this. I promise. Back in Jesus' day, when the churches started forming, now I'm not sure this is true, but I'm just making a story here. But I think you'll see the point. And I told this years ago when I first preached here. There were two groups of people in this church. All of them had had their eyes healed by Jesus. Just incredible. I mean, both of them, both groups had been miraculously saved and their eyes healed by Jesus. But the problem was, there was one group that was healed by Jesus putting mud on their eyes. They were the mudites. And then you had this other group over here that Jesus just spoke 
And they, their eyes were healed. They were called the anti-Muddites. And so the group over here said to the anti-Muddites, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus didn't put mud on your eyes. You, you were not healed. Because he put mud on my eyes and I was healed. So therefore I know no mud, no eye healing. And then the anti-Muddites were looking at the Muddites and say, no, you, can't, you could not have been healed because he put mud on your eyes. And the truth is, no, he had healed both of them, both groups. And so they split and they formed two churches. One was the Muddites and the other one was the anti-Muddites. And you think, you know, that's silly, that's ridiculous, but that's what churches do today. That's what people do today. They can't come and worship because you're not pre-trib. You're post-trib. Well, I can't fellowship with you. There have been churches that that unless you signed on the dotted line that you believed everything, all these traditions and everything, that you, could be, that you could not be a member of that church. Now that's sad. That is sad, people. Let's make sure in our heart of hearts that we're worshiping Christ in spirit and in truth. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not making issues out of non-essential things that Paul's talking about. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. and Lord, it's, it's so convicting to me. Lord, because I know how uh, I fail you and I judge other people and I uh, look down on them, I criticize them for uh, whatever it is, whether it's the way they dress or don't dress or what they eat or drink or, Lord, forgive us. I pray, Father, right now, if there's someone here who is guilty of that, that you would show them what they've been doing, that they would not make excuse, that they would say, well, I'm right, everybody else is wrong, and they just need to get with me, I just need to be cloned for everything to be fine. Lord, work in each heart this morning. Bring repentance, God, in each one of us where we need to repent, because you're the You're a a great God and you can do great and marvelous things. And we look to you, Father, to do that in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.